If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. Hello, and welcome to Scary to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. First and foremost, a huge thank you to all of those of you who sent in stories for the kids and teen episodes. I got so many submissions and it's going to be a much bigger episode than last time. Also, thank you so much for all the birthday wishes. I had a great birthday and it meant so much to hear from so many of you. I truly feel loved and cherished by my listeners and that is such a beautiful sensation I cannot even begin to describe. This week... We have a pretty eclectic bunch of stories. I usually pick the stories for the week all at once and keep a little little bit of a theme, at least. This week, I guess my brain was kind of all over the place. And if you can find a theme, let me know, because you'll probably have some insight as to where my subconscious was this week. The first story is by Brandon Kahela, who is one of the brilliant minds behind the Crypta podcast. As many of you know, many of you may not, I was so graciously asked to be their intro voice. If you haven't checked out Crypta, please do. It's got the voice talents of great and funny people like Henry Zabrowski of Last Podcast on the left, actually a few people from the LPN network like Holden McNeely and Ed Larson, and Brandon himself voices the Mothman. That's Crypta, C-R-Y-P-T-A, available on any podcast app. Well, tonight, Brandon has for us a story that takes place on a New York subway. It's called The E-Train. It was another night. Alex had seen these nights before. It was a night where everyone was out. Out nights were never fun. Especially on the train. Drunk people. On and off and on and off. Never knew what you'd get. One minute it's some moron babbling about Israel. The next it was four guys from Jersey shouting about a woman. Alex was ready. He always prepped for the weekend subway ride. He was used to it at this point, but it was different. Not like the weekday routes. The subway on weekends was a distinguished place. 
A place where folks could commute responsibly. A place of order. But subways on the weekend were the complete opposite. A haven for debauchery. Alex settled in. He knew if he kept his cool, it shouldn't be a tough night. He had been staying on the line for a month now. He knew that if he laid low, kept his mouth shut, and curled up under his blanket, the NYPD wouldn't mess with him. He could trick himself into making this weekend night on the subway feel like a weeknight on the, the subway. This is the last stop on this train. Everyone, please leave the train. Thank you for riding with MTA New York City Transit. The train was empty now. Alex was at the end of the line, and the few people that had remained on the train to the final station had just walked out the doors. Alex liked that time. It was his time. The whole car to himself. He knew it wouldn't last long. In a few short minutes, the train would start, the doors would close, and the train would arrive at the first station. That's when Alex's alone time would end. Alex looked around, not a sound save for the occasional rumble of a nearby train. The seats were barren. Alex sprawled out on the floor of the train and pulled his blanket over him. It wasn't a home, but it was a ceiling. The train started, that familiar rumble. The doors closed and Alex felt the train jet forward. It chugged along, jerky but rhythmic. Alex gave in to the hypnotic rumble of the train. He tried to sleep. The train pulled into the first station on the route. Alex prepared. The doors swung open and people trickled in. A couple lawyers and a few people coming from the Mets game. Nothing unusual. Alex tried to sleep again, but the lawyers were loud. They kept cursing. Alex couldn't make it out because of his blanket, but... Something was pissing them off. Too many drinks, Alex thought. He tried to fall asleep before the next stop. The next stop would have more tourists, more drunks. If he fell asleep now, maybe he could sleep through it. The train pulled into the next station. Alex braced himself for the onslaught of foot traffic. The doors opened and he heard the people pile in. Alex held his ears. The chatter was coming. It did. Alex heard things like, Did you see it? Why? And, I don't know. Sleep was proving futile. Alex was annoyed and decided to sit up. Can't beat him. Join him. He sat up, lowering the blanket from his face. That's when he noticed it. The faces... The faces that belonged to the voices he had just tried to drown out. The people looked at Alex. They were pale, sweaty, like they had just run a marathon. Alex looked into their eyes. Being homeless always came with the occasional stares. But these stares were different. There was panic in their eyes. Alex was confused, and the train pulled into the next station. The doors opened and people entered. A couple kids, some families with babies. Quite a few families with babies. More than usual for a Saturday night train. 
Some of the babies were crying. More confusing. Some of the parents were crying. Sobbing. Sobbing families. A few police officers entered the train as well, assisting a few elderly people. Something was off, Alex thought. He didn't know what, but his theory was confirmed at the next station. People got on. More people. More than normal. Panicked people. The doors closed. The train pulled ahead to the next stop. Alex had to stand. He was taking up too much room on the floor of the train. There were officers in the train now, and Alex didn't want to make waves. The train chugged forward, and Alex stood. The train was full now, which brought Alex a new observation. The train was going down its usual route. The train would pull into a station, and people would get on. But no one was getting off. At every station, the doors would fly open, and people would board. But no one would exit. This bewildered Alex. The train was now packed, fuller than Alex had ever seen it. The train continued down the line, and with each stop, the doors would open and panicked people would board. But no one would leave. There weren't many stops left on the line now. Only a couple. Why was no one leaving? Alex thought. Alex could barely breathe. The train was packed. The train chugged along and eventually pulled into the final station. Surely, some will get off, if not everyone. The doors opened. Alex looked at the people's faces. No one budged. The hell? Alex couldn't take it. He pushed his way through the crowd, shoving aside the kids and the families, fed up. This was his train. The only person who rode it back and forth was him. He was about to exit, then heard it. No. Alex turned. It was one of the kids with one of the families. The kid wore a red t-shirt and denim shorts. He was staring right at Alex. So was everyone else. Alex looked around at the faces. Everyone stared back at him. They just stared, always staring with that same panicked look. Alex had had enough. He walked through the open subway door and entered the station. Alex began to ascend up the stairs. Too many people in this city, he thought. Saturday nights are never fun. He would have to now find a corner or an alleyway, somewhere with an awning that he could. Alex popped out of the subway stairs and froze. He looked around. The street was littered with bodies. The bodies of people. Dead. Little drone-like beings swirled and swooped through the sky. But they weren't mechanical. 
They were creatures. Organic creatures who scanned the dead bodies for any signs of life. Alex was gripped with fear. It was an invasion. One of the flying creatures noticed Alex. It flew towards him quickly. Alex was frozen, but quickly found his legs. He ran back down the subway stairs and could hear the flying creature behind him. He ran on pure fear. This was why the people were so panicked. This is why everyone was boarding Alex's train. Boarding, but not leaving. Alex heard the small flying creature behind him, closing in. Alex hopped the turnstile. He hurried towards the station and rounded the corner. Then he saw it. The train. His train. Starting up. The doors snapped shut. Alex tried to run to catch the departing train. He banged on the doors. The panicked people inside, the last car watched helplessly as Alex screamed and pleaded to be let in. It was no use. The train sped up and disappeared through the tunnel. Leaving Alex alone on the platform. The flying creature came around the corner. Alex was trapped. He knew in a few moments it would be over. He'd be just like the bodies he'd seen on the streets moments earlier. Alex pulled his blanket over his head and waited, accepting his fate and preparing for the inevitable. The last thing he heard was the sound of his train rumbling and echoing through the deep cavern of the subway tunnel. You know, one thing I've always struggled with is finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. Plus, I am not the best with numbers. But now, I use Rocket Money and it does all that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with a few taps. I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month, so I can clearly see my spending habits. Plus, they'll help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. 
Rocket Money will even try to negotiate your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. And I know you do not have the time or mental bandwidth to deal with customer service, but don't worry, they'll deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 5 hundred million dollars in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash scare you to sleep. That's rocketmoney.com slash scare you to sleep. Rocketmoney.com slash scare you to sleep. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Haircut for me, Spaceman said. Buddy, <laughs> Lyle winked. You got a wig on. Haircut for me. Ben, get up here, bubs, Lyle grunted. Lyle's jug ears flapped when he laughed like the wings of a bat, but he wasn't laughing now. For a second, he was stumped. As the bald man sat in the barber's chair with erect back and loose face, Lyle tried to act unperturbed. I've seen stranger heads than his, he told himself. Lyle swung the black cape around the man and, with a low clearing of the throat, selected the nose and ear hair trimmer. The thing about Lyle's is you could drive past the place and never even see it. A white block building with the words, Barber, $8, stenciled on the side, Lyle's was as close to a heart as you could find in that mean strip of Alabama highway called the East, Tallapoochee. The shop was part hunting camp, part museum, and along the back wall posed an assortment of fish and deer heads garbed in dust. Old Lyle lived in a trailer back behind the place, and he worked every weekday except Friday when he went fishing. Lyle was a character. 
with his hair and shag eyebrows dyed jet black, oiled and slicked back, the fuzz jutting from the neck of his cowboy shirt was white as snow. He was tall, old, big-bellied, skinny-legged, and stooped way over the barber chair, scissors snipping and mouth-moving non-stop. A gold chain dangled near the faces of customers as Lyle shaved, clipped, and raised, all the while speaking low and from the gut. Occasionally, he glared up at his audience to accentuate tales that never seemed to end, scissors angled, elbows up, his voice deep and serious. He said stuff like, Slapjack put mouthwash on his arm because it was itching, and Slapjack was shooting dogs in the pecker with a pellet pistol. With the exception of the bald fellow they called Spaceman, most of the regulars who hung around Lyle's shop were backwoods folk. The regulars figured Spaceman was just asking directions when he first drove up at Lyle's in an aged van wearing a black turtleneck and slacks. But, to their surprise, the mysterious personage opened Lyle's screen door, walked without a sound to a narrow space on one of the benches along the wall, and sat down amongst the likes of Ronnie and Old Man Dyer with the straightest back in the world. Old men looked at each other without changing their faces. Levitating at the tip-top of a longish head, the man was wearing this really bunched-up mushroom-shaped toupee, like Moe from the Three Stooges. His skin was as pale as the belly of a catfish, and he stared straight forward with eyes the color of olives. For hours and days that turned to weeks, Spaceman would sit at the barber shop like a plastic dummy as Lyle told wild stories and jokes. Spaceman never once cracked a smile, not even on the rare occasion when the jokes were funny. But this one day, without warning, Spaceman went up to the barber's chair with a stare on his face. I was out at the bend, Lyle half nodded at a retiree named Fred. First cast, didn't even get a chance to sit down for a fish, snatched my ambassador right out of my hands, my best rod and reel. One, I caught that 175-pound catfish up at Lake Gwyn. That's a lie, said Fred. And it was gone. Lyle removed the toupee with one quick pop and began to lather Spaceman's shiny head. Fish sucked the damn thing right off the bank and I could see it down there in the creek. Of course, I kneeled down there to get it, stuck my hand in the water, got way over, just about to get my fingers on it, and then it moves. Just a little bit, across the creek, over toward the deep end, and I, shit, I can still see it. I just got to get it, so I get back up on the bank, take my shoes and socks off, take my pants off, take off my drawers, take off my shirt, take off my hat, lay my pistol on top of my clothes. My ass is butt-ass naked. I scooch down there on the bank and slide right into the creek. A bass goes after my pecker. Lyle squeezed the front of his pants. Bull! said Fred. Son of a bitch bites my goober six times, but I ain't studying that. I'm going after that reel. So I dive in there. I can see the damn thing way down there at the bottom. I dive down there, swim my way down to the bottom, and grab it with both hands. One of them candiru fish would a... TJ blurts. I grab it, Lyle continues, both hands, and all of a sudden it feels like I'm getting pulled by a ski boat. 
I ain't lying, that fish snatches me all the way back across to the other side of the creek, pulls me under this big brush pile, all these logs and stick piled up there above me, and the damn bass is still biting my dick 90 to nothing, and I'm surrounded by him, circling. Bass, bream, suckerfish, catfish, big old gars, messed up looking fish I never seen before, prehistoric like, big spikes on their heads like some kind of dinosaur. And they circling, staring, giving me funny looks. There was one fish with these real long tentacles, fish grinning with big teeth, and I think, this is it, I'm a goner. And all of a sudden, the rod pulls my half-drowned ass back across to the shallow end. That's when I start reeling, and brother, that fish put up a fight. Fish jumps up in the air, seven feet, looks me dead in the eye. I think this has got to be some kind of mutated gator, a sea serpent. I can already see my picture in the paper, and I'm pulling that fucker in an inch at a time, and that's when I see a fin, like a shark. I swear to God. So I lean back with one hand and grab my pistol. Eight dollars. Lyle says as he shakes the non-existent hair off the barber's cloth and beckons TJ to the chair with a long black comb. I grab my pistol off the bank and start shooting. I must have capped that fish three times and then it's like he just jumps up on the bank and runs off, snatching the rod and reel out of my hands again. That fish in my prized reel. It's gone for good. What'd he look like? TJ asked. The hell you think he looks like? Lyle grunted. A fish. That has got to be the stupidest fish story I ever heard, Ronnie said. Oh, I got stupider. Lyle cut on his razor. I seen him, old man Dyer said. The aged trotliner gazed around at everybody with red-rimmed eyes. I seen that fish. The shop went quiet as Spaceman attached the wig back to his head and handed Lyle a pristine $50 bill. The only sound made as the man shut the screen door behind him was the turkey hunting DVD playing in the corner. The regulars figured now that Spaceman got his haircut, that was that. The nut was gone for good. But the next week, he was back. Nobody took that much notice when he took his narrow seat, however, because the crowd that packed out Lyle's that morning was making fun of this tubby fellow, everybody called Slapjack. It was clear that Slapjack had roused the crowd into a state. Slapjack had heavy eyelids, and he grinned in a slovenly fashion that said, I am bed shitting drunk. Everyone seemed to be interested in Slapjack's new false teeth and wanted to see them over and over. Every time Slapjack grinned with those horsey, spotless, white falsies, the boys grew agitated and confused. In the recent past, Slapjack had sported a mouthful of rotten little nubs, and it seemed that the entire geometry of Slapjack's face had changed from jack-o'-lantern pumpkin to jackass mule by virtue of the new choppers. More off the top, Slapjack said with a toothy grin. High-pitched laughter ensued from all quarters. Damn, look at them teeth, Ronnie said. Clearly, Ronnie had crossed the line because the crowd stopped laughing and scowled at him. You just jealous, Slapjack said and pooched his lips. 
Don't let him mess with you, Slapjack, Lyle said as the scissors snipped along the straight edge of Slapjack's bangs. They don't understand. Understand what? Ronnie blurted. Slapjack looks like a gopher? Have you ever worn a set of dentures? Lyle stooped over Ronnie like some spook house ghoul. Nah. Ronnie scowled. You mean you never tried on your grandpa's teeth, the ones in the jar? I bet you did, or maybe that old aunt of yours who lives up the road. Nah. Then shut your fat ass, because if you did, you would have learned something about the human condition. There was a sudden stillness in the room. All eyes trained on Lyle as he held up the mirror so that Slapjack could see the back. Eight dollars. He beckoned Ronnie up to the barber's chair and spun it like a -a tilt-a-whirl. What you want? Lyle pumped the chair with his foot. High and tight, bald-headed like him. Ronnie grinned over at the spaceman. I'm going to tell you something, and I want you to listen. Uh Uh-oh, TJ said and bit into a honey bun. Years ago, there was a man, Lyle said. Lived way down past Eclectic. Call, they called him. Big old tall ball-headed son of a bitch. Lyle cut on the electric razor and started working up one side of the young man's head. Call Jeter. What's that got to do with Slapjack's teeth? TJ said. I'll tell you what that's got to do with Slapjack's teeth, Lyle said. If you give me a minute. Call Jeter. That's his name, Jeter. Back then, he had this big, long, white Chevrolet come driving up. Never seen the man smile. Never got a haircut either, because, you know, he was bald-headed. Lyle paused reflectively. Some folks said he had second sight. He'd just kind of lumber up and down the street on Saturdays, get stuff at the Piggly Wiggly. But here's the thing. He didn't have a tooth in his head, neither. Just gums. That's charming, said Ronnie. Lyle looked at the ceiling. But back then, a lot of folks didn't have, you know, proper hygiene. Hell, my grandpa never once brushed his teeth, except maybe with a sweet gum limb. He didn't have but one, maybe two little snagglers when I was a kid. But boy, you ought to have seen him go at an ear card. Being toothless made them folks' faces kind of look like witch faces. The nose would dip and the chin would curve up and long creases next to their eyes. Kind of like a catfish. Ma, Grandpa, you too, Slapjack said. This fellow call, Lyle continued, one day he was in town, you know, just kind of loping up and down the street, when Minnie Kleckler run up, bawling her eyes out. Your great aunt, Lyle pointed his scissors at TJ. It was the day her daddy died. Everybody in town that he was about to die of liver cancer. She come running up, holding a jar with a pair of false teeth in it. It was her daddy's. She gave those teeth to Carl Jeter, and without so much as a suck yo titties, he stuck the false teeth right in his own mouth. Nasty! But here's the thing. Lyle doused Ronnie's head with a squirt bottle. The minute he stuck those teeth in his mouth, his eyes 
lit up like a pinball machine. And he started talking. He was grinning, nodding, but see, he wasn't talking in his own voice. He was talking in Minnie Kleckler's daddy's voice. Minnie hugged Carl and talked to him, asking all these questions about the great beyond. Everybody started to gather around Call, asking all kinds of questions, and you could see that Call's face, little by little, was starting to look like the old Kleckler. I remember, Old Man Dyer uttered. After a couple hours, I guess Call had enough, and he tried to take the teeth out of his mouth. But Minnie went crazy and tried to stuff them chompers back in there. Wanted her daddy back, crying and begging him to just put the teeth back in his mouth one more time. She just wanted to hear her daddy's voice one more time again. A couple of Minnie Kleckler's cousins started roughing old Call up, telling him to put in the teeth or they'd whoop his ass. What, what did he do? What could the man do? He spit the chompers out and ran like hell, got to his car and drove off, but it was too late. He got home, there was already ten or eleven people out in his yard. Lyle grinned. All clutching these little jars. Lyle turned Ronnie towards the mirror. That ain't right. Ronnie stared at his hair. One sideburn had been removed and the other was extended way down his neck. Boy, you ain't right. Eight dollars. Lyle snapped the apron like a whip. Old Man Dyer wheezed and got up in the chair. One lady, Lyle continued, said her husband had a thousand dollars in gold hid out in the yard. She wanted the teeth to tell her where the money was. Another man wanted the teeth to tell him who shot his uncle. Call tried to keep them all happy, sticking one set of teeth or another into his mouth, but it was no use. People just kept a-coming. So, finally, after... Two weeks of folks chasing him down, sticking false teeth in his mouth, he run off. Weren't no time where they found him holed up in Tuscaloosa. What'd he do? asked TJ. This is where the story gets kind of peculiar, Lyle said. He's in a motel, and this pretty little lady comes into his room. Got these military-issue false teeth that belonged to her husband. Supposedly, the fella drowned the year before and his body was never found. When Call puts them teeth in his mouth, he starts shaking and hunching. His face turns purple and his whole body starts to jitter. You whore! He hollers. You are trying to kill me! I'm gonna kill you! And then... Call grabs a coat hanger out of the motel closet and starts gouging at her with it. All the time, the teeth have gone crazy, dog cussing her, clacking and gritting like some plastic magic shop chompers. Call's eyes looked like a devil's. His face was dark and full of murder. But then suddenly, Call chokes up the teeth and they hit the floor. And Lord... He's catching a spasm. She screams and crawls away from her husband's teeth because they've come alive. There's slobber everywhere, blood, and you know what? They find out the husband hadn't drowned at all. 
was hiding out in Cleburne County with a woman. Next day, they found the husband dead in the bed with this Charlie McCarthy bit clean off. You see, when Call put on those teeth, he went where nobody but God can go. Spaceman stood like a soldier and left without a word, the door slapping shut behind him. Damn, Ronnie said. What happened to Call? Went to work at a Waffle House. That Friday, Lyle woke before daybreak and staggered to the kitchen. Still kind of snoring, he stood next to the stove with his eyes half-closed, eyes fixed on the orange light of the coffee maker. The first whiff of the coffee stirred him a little, and he turned to the refrigerator to get out some bologna and mayonnaise to make sandwiches for his fishing trip. As he reached for the white bread, he was puzzled to see that the lights of his barber shop were burning. For 20 years, Lyle had gone back and forth from shop to trailer, and he had never left the shop lights on. Lyle shuddered and grabbed his gun. In boots and white underwear, Lyle tiptoed the 20 feet from the trailer, pointing the 357 at his barber shop the whole time. He crept up to the back door and tried the handle. It was locked, and he had left the key at the trailer. Arms starting to shake, Lyle stooped over and made his way to the front door, which he found was half open. But Lyle was no fool. Instead of kicking the door wide in a blaze of bullets, Lyle backed through the door, gun pointed backwards over his right shoulder, then swiveled around like a geriatric cowpoke. What the hell are you doing in here? Lyle said. Spaceman sat erect in the barber's chair. Take me fishing, the man said. I want to see the big one. What are you talking about? The big one. Lyle was about to slap the man's jaws when something happened. It was nothing more than a subtle change in the man's face. Something Lyle couldn't quite register. Like parts of his face were vanishing for a second, then coming back, moving, blinking on and off. Lyle clutched his throat for a second then put down the gun. Let me grab you a rod and reel. Lyle coughed into his fist and glanced at the man. (coughs) You... You look like a, a Zebco 202. Lyle handed the man a child's pole. Lyle drove the man miles down the two lane highways and crooked dirt roads until they got as close as they could to the creek, then walked down a deer trail, holding their rods in front of them to catch the spider's webs. Both men trudged through mud, over barbed wire fences, around brush piles and streams. The man held the tiny rod straight up, with no emotion in his face. After walking for almost an hour through briars and hardwood trees, they got to a rock overhang next to a cliff, thick with mountain laurel. Cigarette butts, knots of fishing line and bobbers and trees, and some charred sticks on the bank marked the fishing hole. The dark water at this bend in the creek made a slow ring, a deep eddy. See that brush? Lyle caught his breath and pointed to the far edge of the creek with the tip of his rod. 
That's where I almost got him. I was using a purple worm. Lyle opened his tackle box to get a lure, but the man had dropped to his knees. To Lyle, Spaceman seemed to be having some kind of a convulsion. You all right, Goober? Lyle said. The man quivered, squirmed, and writhed, his body now flopping on the muddy ground. Lyle tried to lift the man, but he slithered out of Lyle's grasp into the water. Undulating, the man moved just under the surface across the creek and disappeared into the deep water under the brush pile. For ten minutes, Lyle watched and waited. Then twenty minutes. Thirty. He cast a few times, but the fish weren't biting. Hell with this, Lyle said. He picked up his tackle and went home. But when Lyle drove up to the shop, the lights were burning again. When he poked his pistol through the open door, Spaceman was sitting in the barber chair, dry as a bone, back erect, a mason jar between his legs. Call Jeter, the man said. I want to see Call Jeter. What's in that jar, mister? How'd you get back here so fast? Call Jeter. What do you want to see Jeter for? He went where nobody but God can go. I don't know about all that. Some folks don't even believe that story. This time the man's whole head flickered, shifted around, the nose taken in by the skin for a second, the chin becoming blank, then the forehead, entire eyes seeming to go out and come back. And when it stopped, the man's head was somehow swollen, his skin even whiter, the olive eyes flatter. Lyle again felt a tingle in his throat. I'll take you, Lyle wheezed. Just... Just cut that shit with your face out. Spaceman stood up, holding the jar. What you got in that jar? That moonshine? The man pulled from the jar a set of twisted teeth the size of a child's fist. The long hallway at the retirement home was empty, the room cold and dark. A stark nightlight and a couple of aged medical machines created this empty haze around the man-sized knot lying on the bed. When Lyle and the man entered Call Jeter's room, it was clear that the old clairvoyant and former Waffle House employee was near death. His aged face was half-squinted like a man who had suffered many strokes. His eyes continually rolled his lids flickered, and his pinched hands were twisted up around his neck. Mr. Jeter, Lyle said as they stood by the bed. Mr. Jeter, this feller... Rise. 
spaceman said and pulled back the sheet. Call Jeter sat up like a made-for-TV vampire, his arms up and toothless mouth opened wide. The man put the strange teeth in Call Jeter's mouth and with long, skinny fingers pushed his lips together. In an instant, Call Jeter got different. A sharp pair of eyes opened as Jeter leaned forward, his grayish face and head seeming to stretch. Jeter glared at the man, teeth exposed. I tell you what, Lyle lathered TJ's neck. Ain't too much I haven't seen, but I ain't never seen nothing like that. Seriously? Ronnie said. What happened to the spaceman? Lyle wiped the straight razor on both sides. Fred clicked the remote looking for the basketball game. It's... It's like he was... made out of paper. Lyle said in a half whisper. Jeter just kept staring at the man. Him staring back. Both of them froze. Their faces almost touching, like... Like they were whistling into each other's mouths. Until the man just... Slumped. Spaceman just kind of bent sideways and... It's like, I, I don't know, he looked like a corn husk. Like he didn't have nothing in him. When I reached over to get him out of Jeter's face, his shoulder and his shirt just kind of broke up in my hand like crumbs. Then from everywhere, I'm talking about ants and roaches crawled from every crack in the room and started clustering all over him. They were on him just like that. I couldn't see him anymore. There were so many bugs on his body. The ants The ants were inside him, Bubba. Eating holes as big as soda crackers and scurrying in and out of the holes and strings. I I just stood there about to puke. Less than a minute later, I'm telling you, that joker was gone. Vanished. Carried off by the roaches and ants and creepy crawly bugs bit by bit by little bit. But when the nurse opened the door, all she saw was me standing by Call Jeter's bed. Jeter was still there, but the bugs were gone. It was like nothing had happened. There were still a couple of roaches clinging to the ceiling in one corner, but she didn't see him. She pulled Jeter's sheet up, fluffed his pillow, and told me visitation was over. Looking at me funny, she put her hand in Jeter's mouth and pulled out the fish teeth and stuck them in the pocket of her scrubs. With a look she had on her face, she she let me know that this kind of thing had happened before. Said she wouldn't report me if I promised to leave the old man alone. Said Mr. Jeter needed rest. Then she walked out. Ma'am, what you got in your other hand? I asked the nurse in the hall. She didn't say nothing, but just kept on walking. But I knew. 
I saw him. She was clinging to her own set of teeth, trying to answer some questions of her own. Bullshit, said Slapjack. Tell another one. Our last story of tonight is a heartwarming one. I told you, I have no idea what kind of mood I was in this week. It's it's all over the place. This is a beautiful story written by Mark Alden, and it's called The Settling Dust. Each time... She returns to the same spot, near the end of the gravel drive, under the maple tree. At a distant glance, and it's never more than that, she doesn't appear to have aged a single day in what has been almost 27 years. I've always been a bit too skeptical, perhaps too cynical, to believe in the supernatural. So that first shadowy glimpse of her I'd quickly dismissed as a combination of eye strain and overworked mind playing tricks on me. Then it happened again. And again soon after that. Over the span of a month or so, I lost count of the sightings. Sometimes now, I won't see her for days at a stretch. Then, suddenly, out of the blue, there she'll be. Sitting cross-legged in the grass or shivering in the rain. No matter the weather, she's wearing the same clothes I last saw her in. Denim cut-off shorts with a dusky blue top. In the instant it takes to sprint from the living room window to the front door, however, she's gone. If you've ever come back to your home you grew up in after years away, then you might possibly understand when I say that, though it all looks familiar to you, something about it also seems not quite real. Despite the weathered, distressed exteriors, the inner dimensions have warped and shrunk. Everything looks slightly off-kilter from your memories of it. I didn't think I'd ever come back again, much less live here. During these long, lonely months, strange twists of fate have shaken loose everything I thought I knew. Soon, when it comes time to pack up and leave again, this time for good, there will be a sadness I would have never dreamed possible during that long, miserable drive north last winter, tail dragging between my legs. A few nights ago in a dream, I waved goodbye to Charlene again, only this time it was I who was speeding away. Her small, spindly figure, barely visible through the hazy cloud of dust in my rearview mirror. If I had known that day, all those years ago, that we were saying goodbye for the final time, I guess I would have done something more than half-heartedly 
wave at her back as she pedaled away down our old dirt road. I guess at age 14, you don't think about the finalities much. You figure the days will just continue to roll on as they are. Forever. At least that's what I thought. If I'd thought about it at all. There's something I need to tell you. Mounting her bike. But I'm... I'm late for my curfew, so it'll have to wait till I see you tomorrow, or Sunday, or whenever. Appearing flustered, her face beat red with sunburn. She tucked the textbook my sister Wendy let her borrow under her arm, before quickly riding off. I bumped into her older sister Kat about two weeks ago at the shop smart. She came pushing her cart around the corner near the produce aisle. I was coming from the opposite direction, and we nearly crashed into one another. It took her a few seconds to see me behind the beard I've let grow a bit long these days, and that is now flecked with gray. Then, lit by recognition, her dark green eyes, so much like Charlene's, brightened, and she rushed over to wrap me up in a big hug. Our first words were awkward and few. She said she was in a hurry, but we exchanged numbers and promised to catch up soon. A couple of days later, we met at a downtown cafe. Though I wanted more than anything to tell her about what I'd been seeing, I was apprehensive at first. I wasn't sure how she'd take it. I mean, how do you just dump a thing like that in the lap of someone you haven't talked to in decades? So, for what felt like a very long time, we waded through the perfunctory small talk of people who used to know one another in some other life. The empty chasm the years had wedged between us was impossible to ignore. You look great, I said. <laughs> Even three kids and two husbands later? She laughed. You've endured. Thanks. You too, Nick. Her long, thin fingers... Candy-striped painted nails played nervously with a stevia wrapper. I took a long swig of black coffee. So, what brought you back after all this time? Misfortune. Ah, yes. <laughs> Does it every time. Should be the town's slogan. We're all good dreams returned to dust. My turn to laugh. Yeah, well, the house has been empty since Dad passed. Been on the market for nearly two years now. When shit hit the fan back in Boston, I needed a place to lay low for a while. You know, try and work up the courage to give it another go. Think I'm almost there. You'll be okay, Nick. Just just a setback. You, you'll get back on your feet. Thanks, Kat. What about you? Ever make it out? Yes, for a full semester and a half. She giggled. Then what? Dropped out. Just wasn't for me, and besides, I was needed back here. Mom was not in a good place. Empty nest syndrome was really bad that year. I guess I was afraid that it was either that or Seer locked away somewhere. So I did what I thought I had to do to keep that from happening. No regrets. Her gaze fell from the window to the table. 
For a few long seconds, we sat in silence. I'm so sorry, Cat. It's okay. We made it through. All of us. Each in our own way. As the conversation progressed, we drifted into deeper waters. It took nearly 45 minutes for either of us to actually say her name aloud. We both knew there was no leaving the table without going there. Just as we both knew that once we did go there, there would be no coming back for either of us. Who knew where the conversation might lead or what would be stirred up out of those peaceful, dusty places in our memories. We began swapping funny stories. Her sister Charlene, my best childhood pal, always such a tomboy. Our conversation literally went over countless refills and evaporating hours. They never did find out who did it, did they? I said. No, never. Hit and run. If it had happened today with the current technology, maybe they could have, but back then it just wasn't there. Whoever hit her might as well have been a fucking ghost. A chill surged up my spine. It was a closed casket funeral. I was shielded from seeing her lifeless body. I still remember the mangled remains of the green Schwinn bike, though. The handlebars bent. The frame horribly twisted. Up to that point, I think I was in shock. I hadn't shed a tear. But when I saw that bike on the back of her Uncle Jody's flatbed truck, I wailed uncontrollably. Suddenly, it was all too terribly real. After a brief pause in the conversation, while Kat texted her kids that she was running late, I regrouped and summoned the courage to finally lay it out there, knowing it would be my last and only chance to do so. As soon as she looked up from her phone, I looked her straight in the eyes and started from there. Brace yourself, Kat. When I tell you this, you'll probably think I've completely lost it. Sometimes I wonder myself. It's been a stressful year. Still, I can't dismiss what's been happening quite so easily. There's got to be something more. With warm, wondering eyes, she sat and listened intently until I'd said all there was to say. Then, she just slumped back in the booth, and her face broke into a sly grin. I was confused by her reaction at first. Then she said, You know, I'm not all that surprised, actually. Really? Why is that? She never told you, did she? Told me what? The reason she came back to your house that night. To borrow my sister's algebra book, I said. Nope. Wasn't it? That was just a clever little cover. She came specifically to tell you something, Nick. We'd been talking about it for weeks. She asked me what I thought she should do. Then it came flooding back. The last time I saw her, her getting on her bike, 
saying she had something she needed to tell me before speeding away, leaving a little dust trail behind her as I waved her off. After that, I didn't think any more about it until later, after the accident, and for the next several months, it was all I could think about. Tell me what, cat? She pulled out her purse and left a folded bill under her empty cup for the waitress. Then she got up, put on her jacket. As she knelt down and placed her hand over mine, I could see her eyes filling up, wet with emotion. Her next and final four words before walking away that day sucked the air out of me, if not the entire room leaving me breathless with immediate understanding and heaviness of despair. That she loved you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed those stories as much as I did, and let's do some Patreon shoutouts, shall we? A huge eternal thank you to Uppy, Carly Blackmore, Mary Pelham, Marquet, and Kristen L. And remember, if I mispronounced your name, honestly, please write to me and tell me, and I, I'm so sorry. And now, let me send you so much love and a huge, huge, huge hug over the airwaves. Thank you so much for all that you do. Remember, you can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter. Um, you can send in any submissions to scareyoutosleep at gmail.com. My website is scareyoutosleep.com, which also has a contact form if you just want to say hi. And I think that's all for tonight. Now, go get some sleep. Sweet dreams. Item number SCP-5186 SCP-7160 SCP-7533 Object class Euclid Keter Safe Special containment procedures Spreading across the hemisphere and kicking up vast amounts of ash and dust <laughs> The only thing I could hear was 7219 <laughs> laughing Do you remember your name? Counseling. Appointment update. I feel them again. Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. They're in my ears! Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. Nobody understands! SCP Archives is a weekly fiction podcast. 
Each episode, we dive into the strange, the unknown, and the... Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at scparchives.com.